Today's sermon is entitled, Are You Done With Me? It will come to us from Psalm 77. I want to begin with a question. And the question is, how do you do sleep? How are you as a sleeper? How many of you are heavy sleepers? It would take like a freight train or a rock concert or a marching band or a thundering squadron of jets to wake you up. A concert with like a Van Halen concert with a decimal level high. It would take something like that to wake you up. You're a heavy sleeper. How many of you are like... Uh, I am. You've watched many late night versions of unsolved mysteries where, you know, you're staying up and you're turning and tossing, you can't sleep, and you're thinking about the axe murderer in the basement. You don't even have a basement, but you're sure that there's an axe murderer down there. And you just wait. I was, years ago, I was going through a stressful time. I was staying up late watching uh, what scientists don't understand about animals, and we don't understand all there is to know about uh, migration, why do geese, uh, how are they able to fly like they fly in the winter, about hibernation, how a bear can gorge itself with food, its organs can shut down, it can sleep for months on end. I was like watching that going, I need to know more about this. Also, I'm jealous of the bear. So I went to the kitchen, I gorged myself on food, I came back, no organ shut down, I wasn't able uh, to go to sleep. Uh, there's a comedian named Jim Gaffigan, and he talks about his inability to sleep. He's got four kids, he said they haven't slept in seven years. He said, he asked a question, do you know what it's like to have four children? He says, imagine that you're drowning and somebody hands you a baby, right? So that's what, he says, that's what it's like to have four children. He says that every night at bedtime is a crisis situation. It's hostage negotiation in reverse where you're like, okay, y'all stay in there. We'll give you what you want. Stay in your room. Just put, you know, slide your demands under the table. We'll meet every demand that you have. Uh, sleep can be, can, it can be very, very hard to find. I'll show you a picture of a man named Joseph Crater. In 1930, this 45-year-old man was dining at a New York City restaurant. He got up, said goodbye to his friends, paid the tab, walked out. He held a cab, and he was never seen or heard from again. Swirling, there were, you know, different rumors swirled and circulated around New York and beyond. Some people thought he was murdered because he was a Supreme Court judge. Police did an investigation. They could find nothing conclusive. There was one clue. Joseph Crater had withdrawn all the money from his bank account and wrote a check to his wife attached with a note that says, I am weary, love you, Joe. I believe that uh, doctors can confirm this, that there's a lot of us that are burned out by our busyness, that were worn out by our worry. A doctor named Richard Swenson wrote a book years ago called Margin. He talks about how increasing numbers of people are or go into the doctor and there's no x-ray or blood work needed, they can just tell that through weight gain and back pain and neck pain and um, heartburn and headaches and irritability and fatigue and all those symptoms that somebody is burned out by their busyness. Somebody is worn out by their uh, worry. I was reading recently about telomeres. Here's a shoestring and you'll see two sides of this uh, shoestring. Uh, we, we don't... Uh, we don't appreciate the cap of a shoestring enough, do we, until you don't have one. And a telomere is the part of the, in, inside your body, telomere's cap, the chromosomes, are DNA. And, you know, if you, if you compare the sides of this um, shoestring, you'll see that this doesn't have a cap. And what this is really no good. I mean, you can wet it a little bit and try to make it work, but it comes undone when it, when it doesn't have a cap on it. And when telomeres uh, aren't capping our, when they, they are not doing their work, they're getting worn out, then cells are unable to divide. And when cells don't divide, you age quicker. And when you age quicker, you die sooner. And there's something inside of us that's saying we need to do something about 
our sleeplessness. We need to do something about our stress. We need rest physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, which I believe, you know the preacher's going to say this, but the spiritual rest is, rest is the foundation of, of it all. We, we, we need rest. Years ago when I was going through a particularly stressful season, some tough circumstances, I was driving and someone pulled out in front of me. Now this is the truth. The preacher's not exaggerating. God's watching. Someone pulled out in front of me and they flipped me off. And I should have gone right, but I went left into the same parking lot they went into. And I was just processing. And I thought, you know, I need to let them know that they just messed with a man of the cloth. They pulled out in front. I did, I'm telling you, I did nothing wrong. I was completely innocent. Maybe he picked up on my vibe, and that's why he threw the finger at me. I'm not sure, but I followed him in. No, you'll be happy. No, I didn't do anything. I didn't roll down the window. I didn't engage in anything. But I thought, this guy needs to know of his two infractions. A few weeks later, during the same stressful season, Susan was with me. A young girl pulled out in front of me, and I laid on the horn. I didn't honk it. I laid on the horn. And Susan said, Robert, Robert, she could go to Fondren Church. And I said, she should go to Fondren Church. That girl needs some church. But listen, my goal, one of my goals, I don't have it written down anywhere, but I want to live my life in such a way that I never make a headline and never embarrass you as pastor of this church. But I do know like the writer we'll see about in a minute, that stress can get the best of us and that there's stuff percolating underneath and we need the rest that God can give. A, a funny passage, a cool narrative in Acts when God's just blowing off the roof and things are really happening cool. They had problems, but problems started early in the church in Acts, but the, the just cool things happen. In Acts 20, verse 7, some of you uh, may know this is in the Bible and we had a good crew at 930 and a lot of people in the balcony and were able to pick fun poke on them but uh, on the first day of the week we assembled to break bread Paul spoke to them and since he was about to depart the next day he kept on talking until midnight how many of you love a long-winded preacher and you wish I would go on and on right um, I have dreams the night before church uh, I have nightmares that nobody shows up and then the other dream is that y'all stand up and like we want more we want more and thank God thank God right neither come true although I'd prefer the second. So uh, let's continue on verse 8 and 9 of, of uh, Acts 20. There, th there were many lamps in the room upstairs where we were assembled. No fog machines, Lauren, just some lamps. And then the next verse is the good part. And a young man named Eutychus was sitting on a windowsill and sank into deep sleep as Paul kept on talking. When he was overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was picked up dead. Now, God had a miracle. Uh, Paul raised him from the dead. But isn't that a, kind of a cool story? When I was little, and I learned about this in Sunday school. It brought a lot of questions to my mind. But we had a little saying. We said, Eutychus. His name was Eutychus. And we said, Eutychus, too, if you fell asleep and fell down the window. We had a low bar for humor back then. But Eutychus, we don't know much about Eutychus. But we, we could think that he's probably a farmer or fisherman. Maybe he worked down at the factory there in around the Sea of Galilee. But we know that sleep cost him his life. God had a miracle, but sleep cost him his life. And I think for us, what's happening inside of us, uh, we're aging quicker and we're going to die sooner. And oh, by the way, we're not living the life God desires for us. And we're, some of us are to the point of this question, or we're on the path to this question, are you done with me? And I want to say today that God is not done with you. Um, let's read, yeah, come on. Let's read a Psalm 77. Uh, it says this, and by the way, this is coming from, um, don't look right now, look at me. This is coming from Asaph, keep it up there. It's coming from Asaph, and Asaph was a worship leader. He was a song leader in Israel, so he probably wore denim and skinny jeans, and we're going to learn from this worship leader. His name means, it's cool, his name in Hebrew means to gather, but what you're going to see about the guy who's called to gather, he was scattered. 
He was all over this place. His mind was prone to worry. His thoughts were swirling. The worries were going about uh, in his head. And let's read Psalm 77. For now, we are going to read all 20 verses uh, real fast, but we'll do the first 10. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. I sought the Lord in my day of trouble. My hands were continually lifted up all night. I refused to be comforted. I think of God. I groan. I meditate. My spirit becomes weak, Selah. You have kept me from closing my eyes. I am troubled and cannot speak. I consider days of old, years long past. At night I remember my music. I meditate in my heart and my spirit ponders. Will the Lord reject me forever and never again show favor? Has his faithful love ceased forever? Does anybody feel like a, a walking contradiction, to quote Shakespeare, sometimes truth, sometimes fiction? Isn't that a contradiction? Faithful love, faithful love, but will it cease? But it's faithful love, but will it cease? You got that in you, skinny jeans or not. Is his promise at an end for all generations? Anybody take one problem and blow it out of proportion? Anybody take one really tough situation and make it pervasive and permanent? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? So I say, I am grieved that the right hand of the Most High has changed. Don't miss this. I know it's simple and I've sort of stated it, but let me be more blunt with it. This is a worship leader who's dealing with darkness, doubt, and depression. This guy is a spiritual leader. So if you're just a member or attendee or someone checking out church, give space for the leaders to not be perfect. Give room for those who lead in songs and preach in sermons and lead your group to have bad days and to bring their doubts and questions to God. Give room for spiritual leaders. If you are a spiritual leader, let's give room for each other to be human and to go through this. And I love one great writer, Eugene Peterson, a pastor who's gone on now, talked about the Psalms, is he called the whole book of Psalms, this 150 chapters, revelations of truth in the crucible of lived human experience. When we read the Psalms, we see our situation. When we read the Psalms, we see ourselves. And in this, he gives us, I believe, that God put the Psalms in the Bible for you and I to be human, for us to experience the gamut of emotions. I believe he put the Psalms in the Bible to call us to highest levels of praise and worship. I believe he put the Psalms in the Bible to comfort us in our doubt and in our darkness. To have a mountaintop experience along with the valleys. To be in the valley along with the mountaintop experience. I think of Martin Luther King Jr. and at the height of civil rights unrest when he was leading a movement that changed our country in Jim Crow South in Alabama. And he talks about mountaintop, that great, I can hear his voice as he talks about that. And he ripped that right from the pages of the Bible, particularly the Psalms. And when you are on a mountaintop, what type of person are you? When you're on a mountain, what type of person are you? What do you do when you're on a mountain? Can I say to you that you should experience God, enjoy God, and brag about God? And when you're in a valley, what type of person are you? Let me suggest that when you're in a valley, you should learn waiting and clinging and how to trust and obey. And do you know what you need? Both of them. Do you know that God knows what you need more than you need? 
He does. He does. And so there's this call to elevate the highest praise and worship, and that's what I love about the Psalms. But there is this comfort that he gives us in our doubt and our, in our darkness. And so in this, let, let me share, by the way, the words um, I think are so profound from uh, an 18th century English minister named uh, Alexander McLaren. He said this, and I love the language. I hope a few of you will as well. Doubts are better put into plain speech than those thoughts lying diffused and darkening. Now, I know we say that the Psalms, all the writers of the Psalms are so poetic, and they are, but yet I love the plain speech of the Psalms, like the bluntness of the Psalms. If you're going to communicate a message, particularly to a large audience, the message should be simple. If you're going to run for office, you'll probably need a slogan that people can buy into. And when you're pouring out the gamut of human experience, you need to bring, yes, poetry, but, and the Hebrews were big on it, but there needs to be plain language. But let me start over. Doubts are better put into plain speech than those thoughts lying diffused and darkening. Like poisonous mist. A thought, good or bad, can be dealt with when it is ready, made articulate. When it's made articulate. Hey, men, articulate. Tell your children that you love them. Sons and daughters, be affectionate with them. And when they grow older, don't stop being affectionate with them. Appreciate the people around you. Spouses, love each other and let the words go forth. Articulate. There's a proverb, it's chapter 20 and verse 5, where Solomon says that the purposes in a person's heart are deep, but a person of insight draws them out. I believe that everybody, even if you're kind of living a shallow existence, you're a deep person. I believe for everybody, the imago deo, the, the, the image of God in you says you're a deep person. There's a lot happening within you, and it's really cool when you don't keep it within. When you share, when you articulate. Appreciation is not appreciation unless it's articulated. Love is not love unless it's... Uh, worship is not worship unless it's articulated. This is a pretty big word, and some of us do it really well. Some of us need to simmer down our articulation and let other people speak. I need a mirror right here. But like, for so many of us, man, let the words be spoken. And here's what I want to say. Articulate to God and articulate to a person. A person you trust. Somebody once said that God has thick skin. Do you? I'm not even going to look at my wife right now because she's seen me grow from being very thin-skinned to maybe having some tougher skin. Somebody once said that a pastor needs the mind of a scholar, the heart of a child, and the skin of a rhinoceros. I heard that when we were about to plant a church, and I remember thinking, uh-oh, I'm 0 for 3. But probably the weakest of them all is the skin. Because is anybody like me, like we can meet up later and pray for each other, but like criticism comes hard. Feedback is not always, I mean, I stood up here a few weeks ago and talked about a life-giving rebuke. But I'm telling you, I've been wounded by it. And sometimes it's hard for me to recover when people are making judgments about you and they don't really know the truth or they're talking behind your back or they're leaving the church. And when someone comes to me and says, hey, I'm leaving the church in my mind, I'm thinking, well, everybody's going to follow them out the door. And I, I just haven't done that well having thick skin, but God is, is working on me. I look at Susan now. He's been working on me and using her, the Holy Spirit, both of my divine powers, God and Susan, <laughs> to help me grow. But look, articulate, but articulate to God 
He's got thick skin. Your spouse, your friend, your loved one, your roommate, that other friend that you tried to, you know, the person you tried to talk to on your team, they didn't receive the feedback well. They're, they didn't have thick skin. God has thick skin. He can hear everything that's going on. So articulate to God. And then remember the passages in Galatians 6 that say, bear one another's burdens. Articulate it to other people so your burden can be borne. Articulate it so you can be the one who bears the burden. Often, uh, I got to, well, let me say, I got to pray with a brother at the end of the service, and they had a scare, a pregnancy scare in their family. And man, when I find out about it, I'm like, I'm so glad that we can know. But when he embraced me through tears this morning at the first service, he said, man, Fonder Church has come through with love. And I, I love that because I want us to be a place where we're not like pebbles in a rock pile and we're unnamed and we have some loose affiliation around the room but everybody's not going to know everybody but everybody needs to know somebody and everybody needs to be known and articulate your need weep with those who weep articulate to god and articulate uh, to man we don't have long for this sermon but i want to give you three things about this last week in psalm 13 just six verses we we talked about how uh, there were three invitations the invitation to complain only to god the invitation to complain, the invitation to ask, and the invitation uh, to trust. I want to give you three things uh, in this sermon from Psalm 77. The first are two emotions that Asaph experienced, and then one is a decision that he made. Two emotions that he experienced and a decision that he made. I'll say it again. We see our situation in the Psalms. We see ourselves in the Psalms. Here's the first emotion they experienced. I feel anxious. Anybody? I feel anxious. Take that to God. I said last week from Philippians 4, you know, pray, 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 and God gives peace. And pour out your heart, and then there's peace. And we want peace without the prayer. We want peace without persistently pouring out our heart with him. But we have to articulate. It's just poisonous mist within you, dark inside of you, if you don't articulate to God. He says he, says he, he feels anxious. And you see that in 1 through 10, his anxiety. My hands are up, my eyes are won't close god have you changed and anxiety can be just that way we put permanence to it we we think it's going to be persistent we think it's uh, everybody type of thing and um and then we ultimately question god god have you changed uh, look at me real quick god hadn't changed god hadn't changed uh, political offices change countries change people change uh, lots of things change the world is changing uh, college football is changing uh, there's a lot of things changing, like it, my head's spinning, but God hadn't changed, and God isn't going to change. Deuteronomy 32, 4, he is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. He is a God of truth and without iniquity. God ain't moving, God ain't changing, but yet we feel anxious. I wonder if your anxiety could be related to your marriage. Someone told me this week, we're sleeping in different beds. And I never thought it would come to this. And I wonder where it's going. I feel anxious. Maybe your anxiety is connected uh, to money. You're having nightmares about packing up all your boxes and moving out of your dream home because things aren't going well on the job. Your anxiety could be related to your teenage daughter. When she was a little girl, she held your hand everywhere and you knew everything that was going on in her mind, she told you. But she's become a teenager and all of her words, they're not many, they're short and they're rude. And you wonder where her life is headed. Perhaps you are the teenager, and you feel the pressure, the pressure of grades, of achievement, of being liked, of getting likes, uh, the pressure of appearance. Uh, 
allow me a pastor's moment here, but I just see teenagers today, and I just want to hug every one of them, not in a creepy way, but in a pastor's way, and just say, man, I just, the pressure that we're putting on you, the pressure that you're bearing, look, I just don't think we had that pressure. I mean, somebody needs to step up and let's help reverse the course. Uh, Church should lead the way. I just, I mean, I I had difficulty. I had some calamities that befell me when I was young, but I just, I just remember waking up happy and not comparing myself like all the young people are doing today. Anybody with me? And I'm I'm telling you, and it's not, it's not going for all the progress we, uh, we extol, I don't, I don't think it's all going in that direction. And people are hurting, and there's tons of anxiety, and the doctors are treating people so young. People that haven't even, they haven't even reached double digits on earth, and they're, having, they're battling with tremendous depression and anxiety. And so Asaph says, I feel anxious. A second feeling that he had, he says, I feel abandoned. And this is deeper. If your anxiety persists, if you let the enemy lie to you and lie to you many times over and you begin to believe every thought you have, then you'll reach here. I feel abandoned. Anybody been abandoned? I bet if I sat on somebody's couch and they had some therapy degrees, they could diagnose some stuff in me. Ever had a best friend that's no longer a best friend? A spouse that's no longer a spouse? Many of us walk around carrying wounds because someone walked out in childhood. My dad wasn't there, so I am not important. I wasn't good enough to keep him around. For Asaph, let's give a little history here. For Asaph, it was corporate. It was, he's a song leader. And so when the people are sitting amidst rubble, it's hard to lead in song. And so Asaph is experiencing this, God, where are you? Because I'm supposed to be leading our people on the goodness of God. But we look around, the Babylonians came through. They hauled off many of our people into slavery. They defiled your temple, God. And the city of Jerusalem is laying in ruin. So amidst the rubble, he writes Psalm 77, this songbook. He says, God, where are you? Because it doesn't seem like you're here amidst the rubble. Maybe your rubble is what's been done. And somebody hurt you, somebody left you, somebody left you feeling unloved. And you're battling with abandonment issues. Maybe your rubble, if you read more Psalms, like Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, it's the rubble that you made. It's the rubble that you created. And you stand in the midst of that and you say, I feel abandoned. So I want us to read the rest of Psalm 77, lightning quick. We'll read the end. Uh, I'm skipping two verses, verses 11 and 12, for a good reason. You'll see in a moment. But 13 to 20, I'll read it real fast. God, your way is holy. What God, what God is like you. You're the God who works wonders. You revealed your strength among the peoples. With power, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. The water saw you, God. The water saw you. It trembled. Even the depths shook. The clouds poured down water. The storm clouds thundered. Your arrows flashed back and forth common Hebrew language then. The sound of your thunder was in the whirlwind, lighting it up, lighting lit up the world. The earth shook and quaked. Your way went through the sea and your path through the vast water, but your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Interesting note, if you go back and read all 20 verses of Psalm 77, if you like language and like to study that stuff, English majors in the room giving you a tip of the cap here, but uh, you'll look at verse... Uh, the first several verses, uh, the first 10 verses, and you'll see uh, 18 first-person singular pronouns. 18 first-person singular pronouns and six references to God. 
All these occurrences of me and my and I, and far less references to God. But the last verses, 13 to 20, you see 21 references to God and zero first person singular pronouns. And this is pretty heavy, I would say. And I would say, by the way, and real quick, nothing has changed with Asaph. Nothing has changed. He still emits the rubble. The city's in ruin. The temple has been defiled. People are missing, MIA. Nothing has changed about that, but his perspective has. And his willingness to persist and recount the goodness of God from old and the power of God, the sense that God can do it all. And I would say to you, to all of us, this, this hit me hard this week, that if I'm focusing on me, I'm making it about me and I, myself, that I'm falling way short of elevating God in worship and living the way that I should. But if I change my reference form and make it about God, here's the funny thing about that. When I make it about God's glory, it becomes about my best good. Look, God's got you. He's, he's got you. Those two aren't diametrically opposed. When, you're, when you make your life about God's glory, uh, you'll see he takes care and you'll see his goodness in your life. And so just from an, a language standpoint, diving into this 77th Psalm is pretty cool. So let's, uh, as we start rounding toward home, let's not make this about a cute, uh, you know, cute poem written by an ancient guy. I think there's something fundamental here. You and I can go and we can say, when we're dealing with doubt and darkness, when we get to a place where, God, are you done with me? Um, I want to give you some strategies for how to deal with doubt and darkness. And it comes from, uh, well, let's back up. uh, Verses 11 and 12, I promise this. Here's what he said. This changes all. This is the hinge point of everything. Between 1 through 10 and 13 to 20 is 11 and 12. I will remember the Lord's works. Yes, he's reinforcing it. I will remember your ancient wonders. I will reflect on all you have done and meditate on your action. Remember, remember, reflect, meditate. Remember, remember, reflect, meditate. Remember, remember, reflect, meditate. If I say it again, will y'all remember? Remember, remember, reflect, meditate. Here it is. So it's not just a cute poem from long ago. The strategy for dealing with doubt and darkness, for fighting doubt and darkness, is remembering and pondering and meditating. It's helped me carry the weight that I carry to remember what Jesus said. When he said in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30, he said, come to me. Some of you could quote this with me. You're welcome to. Of course, you don't know what version I'm going to quote it in. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly. There's two invitations there. The first is to come to me. Jesus didn't say go to her or go to him or try this or buy this or travel here or get a mountain bungalow or a beach condo or a hammock or a sleep number bed or pop this pill or snort this or smoke this. Jesus said, come to me. Come to me. Because there'll be times in your life where he's the only place to turn. Asaph, in the second verse of Psalm 77, says all night long. Like Lionel Richie sang all night long, and I I like that. That's like a song to hit the streets and party. Um, But this all night long is doubt. It's dark and it's depressing. But the way that we fight it, whether circumstances change or not, is remembering and pondering and meditating. So Jesus said, come to me. If you're in New York City 
and you're outside the RCA building, you'll see this statue. Uh, you'll recognize this, some of you, um, popular throughout the centuries. This is, who is this? Atlas. And of course, every rendering of Atlas, he's muscular and he's strong and he's carrying the weight of the world. But if you go down just a few blocks on Fifth Avenue toward uh, to St. Patrick's Cathedral, you'll see this. This is little baby boy Jesus holding what? Do you see? He's holding the world. He's got the world in his hands. And I'm saying to you, the choice is yours. You can try to carry the weight of the world, which is not a good strategy for living. Or you can, co you can go to the one. You can come to me. You can go to the one who holds the weight of, his, of the world in his hands. It's a vastly different way to live. In church, we need to get this right. John Mark Comer wrote his next book called Practicing the Way. It's an indictment on the American church that, the, that we're left wanting. We, we go to church, we attend services, we vote, and we politicize our faith and weaponize it. But what's missing are apprentices of Jesus where we sit, we come to him, and we sit under him, and we learn from him, and we practice what he says. Come to me, come to me. And there's an invitation. When I meditate at the risk of sounding a little kooky, I picture Jesus. As I've gotten older, I picture a more dark-skinned Jesus, to be more accurate. But I picture Jesus inviting me in to his place and his house and sitting down with me, and he's for me, and he loves me, and he wants to connect with me. And nothing that I'm going through is, doesn't concern him. Come to me and learn from me. Learn from me. Learn from my ways. Learn what I have to offer you. Learn that the Lord is your shepherd. And that he makes you lie by still waters. Take a look at Barak. Barak was, this photograph was taken 15 years ago in Australia. Barak was a sheep that wandered off and no one got him back into the fold. Barak uh, got to a point where hikers and bikers were seeing him, but they didn't know what to do. Barak got to a point where he couldn't see, and thus he couldn't walk. And finally, a vet got to him, and they took him in, and they, they shore him. He got shorn. And 75 pounds of wool came off this sheep. 75 pounds of wool. Let's take a look. The before and after, people. There, there he is. Uh, you can't do it on your own. You can't wander from the fold. You can't carry weight you weren't designed to carry. And I'm just so excited that the Lord says that he is the shepherd. And he calls us to come to him and to learn from him. And here's what I want to say. Let's do that. I want your faith to be a faith that you practice. Like the tendency for us, let me say it, is to leave here, grab lunch, go, how was a preacher day? How was a singing day? We may come back. I don't know. And, you know, okay, cool. I get it. But like, did you hear anything from the word of God that you'll apply to your life? Is there anything that you need to fundamentally change and shift in perspective? Do you need a new strategy for dealing with doubt and darkness? Remember what he has said. Jesus said in John 10 that if you're in him, no one can pluck you from the Father's hands. Go with God every time. Lamentations 3.23 says his mercies are new every morning. Go with what he says every time. Peter told the church there in one of his epistles, they were suffering persecution under Nero, and he said he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Go with what God says. 
to the church at Rome. Nothing can separate us from God's love. We are more than conquerors and that everything that happens to us can work together for our good. Go with what God says. Uh, one day we will worship with every tribe, tongue, and nation. About 20 people are going to get a taste of that, just a small little slither taste of that when they go to the Dominican Republic uh, this, this week for spring break. We, we're going to worship with every tribe, tongue. Go with what God says every time. As, as our worship team comes up and we begin to close, and we'll be out of here in just a few minutes, Dallas Willard wrote something that's affected me. I put it on my phone. Uh, when it comes to remember and ponder and meditate... Remember, ponder, and meditate. It can change your life. He talks about the law of cognition and the law of exposure. <laughs> Y'all, we need to rethink this. The law of cognition. You are what you think. I'll give you a couple of verses from Scripture. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Jesus said a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. The law of cognition is you are what you think. What thoughts are you thinking? The law of exposure, and you're not as weak and helpless and anemic as you think you are. The law of exposure, your mind will think most about what it's most exposed to. Events you attend, material you read, music you listen to, images you watch, conversations you hold, dreams you entertain, all shaping your mind, your character, and your destiny. Rethink this. Rethink this for you. Not in a moral, legalistic way. Not in a way that isolates you and makes you weird, but can help you be different and help you win in this space that some of you are just downright losing right now. The law of exposure and the law, the law of cognition, the law of exposure, it's, it's life-changing. I'm telling you, God said it. Go with God every time. Let me pray for us. Would you stand? Lord, bless the word that was preached, and I pray you help us. Get it into our lives. Lord, I pray that around the room that you help us to make decisions for you, Jesus. Often we say the gospel demands a response. And Lord, I pray that we would respond in obedience to you today. In receiving you and walking with you and taking the next step, whatever it might be. And Lord, I pray for those who feel like that you're done with them. God, would you in your grace and power tell them that you're not you're not done with them that's not who you are and that's not who we have to be in Jesus we pray Amen. altar is open y'all come today if we can pray for you it's always an honor to embrace somebody and pray for a decision a direction something you need in your life something you're trusting God for we're here for you let's take these few moments and sing and be obedient to him